Welcome back to the Mountains in the Sea, a Prince podcast. I'm Christy. Joined by me, Josh. (laughs) We're so glad that you're back with us today. We just finished our three-episode series on Around the World in the Day, and man, there was a lot of good fun material there lots of stuff to cover there so if you didn't hear any of that check it out it's the last three episodes that we released yeah they were it was fun i had fun i I had fun good we both had fun we hope you guys had fun coming along on that little journey with us today we are super lucky because piano on a microphone 1983 was just released and we are going to talk about it today how often do we get to talk about quote-unquote, new music. Well, once a year if you listen to The Estate. I hope so. I hope so. We'll get to talk about new stuff more often than I thought we might. Not as often as we'd like, but isn't that always the case? This is reality. Yeah. So we're going to talk today a little bit first about what we know about the recording. Yeah. Then about the music itself. Then the special features that were included with the deluxe edition that included the record and the CD and some additional tertiary materials and the Mary Don't You Weep video. And then we'll make our selections as we always do with a time capsule, a sea, and a mountain, hence the mountains and the sea. That's who we are. That's who we are. This album is assumed to be... From the spring of 1983. Yes. In Prince's home studio. Which I'm a little confused as to why they don't know the exact date. The engineer who helped record it is involved with the estate and wrote liner notes in the the book, Don Batts. I I thought he wasn't the engineer who helped him record it. He was the engineer who found it and helped him with his final two albums. That was my understanding. Did not find it. That was Michael Howell, somebody completely different. Oh, okay. Well, then... I believe you. So, yeah. Well, maybe he just can't remember. You know, you can't always remember exactly what day that things happen. It can be difficult. Well, just because we know what day it is now doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, 30 years from now, I'm going to remember what day we recorded this. Right. Well, Don Batts writes liner notes that were dated May 2018 uh, in the album itself and talks about his involvement setting up Prince's home studio and uh, that he was by his side for recording much of his early material all the way through uh, the Purple Rain album. Okay. Um, so it was my assumption that he was the engineer that was in the room uh, when Prince was recording this because yeah. he's clearly not by himself. Well, no, he's not. He talks to people, so that's mm-hmm. you know kind of fun. But I, maybe the engineer is unknown specifically. Uh, my guess is he did quite a lot of this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's the whole point, was that this is one of many, many, many recordings. There was never a time that, um, or rarely a time, that Prince was performing, that someone wasn't recording it some way, somehow. Right. Because Prince is notorious for going back and watching live shows and perfecting them and, you know, not writing down music, per se, but recording it for references for later, and that's sort of what this is. Right. That's what we believe it to be. Yep. It was in the uh, Kiowa Trail... Home studio? Right. Basement studio? I thought it sounded great having been recorded on a cassette. Yes, although, I mean, that is what all the uh, recordings were done on. Even I'm reading um, Dwayne Tudal's book of the Purple Rain era recordings, and every time there was a recording session, a cassette was the, you know, yeah, that thing one. that he left with, so that wasn't uncommon. But yeah, to think of it being sitting on a consumer slash kind of semi-pro level cassette yeah in a um reportedly not super well kept vault for 35 years yeah yeah i thought it sounds it certainly sounds good than the recordings we had that were circulating before so it was a major upgrade in that regard and I thought, you know, even kudos to the estate for not trying to overproduce this and yes. embracing its imperfections. You know, it's been called sonically imperfect, and that was something that never stopped Prince before. In fact, he's recorded songs where something wasn't set up correctly, and he embraced it and made it part of the song, and it showed up on an album. <coughs> yep. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Uh, one of them being the ballad of Dorothy Parker on Sign of the Times. Susan Rogers recounts that, you know, something just didn't sound right. She realized that something was not correctly set up with the equipment and she let it roll and thought that she was dead meat and Prince heard it and ended up loving it and yeah. keeping it on, on the, uh, the album version of the song. So, Very cool. Yeah, having non-pro level basement studio equipment didn't really stop Prince from recording a lot of his hit songs, so there was no reason you know, to look at this in much of a different way other than no. it's just Prince and a piano and an engineer right. in a room somewhere. How fun. Mm-hmm. And man, this was thought to be a rehearsal just for himself, but he didn't hold back, didn't, didn't yeah, not do his best because it wasn't... For consumer use, eventually. Yeah, I think it's a good study in Prince not taking a performance off. I think it's pretty clear that he never uh, intended this to be released or be shared in a public way like this. And so you listen to it, and he certainly puts enough heart into his performance that you wouldn't know that it was meant to be just a private thing. Well, and that he's just, it's just him and an engineer in a room, just like, and Prince is just doing his thing, not holding back. Today we're going to play some music. Mm-hmm. Just like every other day. Very cool. Yep. All right, shall we dive into the music? Yes, let's do it. All right, 17 Days. It would eventually be the B-side to When Doves Cry that came out in May of 1984. Yes, the studio version be re-recorded, um, not the version that we're hearing here, which right. is an earlier recording of it. It had been written and was at one time intended to be sung I believe by Vanity or on the Vanity Six album, uh-huh. and then it, he kind of took it back and made it his own. Yeah, I did uh, snag your copy of the Dwayne Tudal mm-hmm. Purple Rain era studio sessions book and did a little snooping. Yeah, did you find um, some stuff? I did. Uh, this is probably the first known recording of 17 Days. That the first time that he recorded in a studio that had records was not until August of 1983. Oh, so you mean the studio that had notations made of who was there and what was done. Yes, they had records of some sort. Yes, I'm thinking like records. Oh, yeah, no, not in it. spin around. (laughs) A lot of studios have that, actually. (laughs) I see what you're saying. <laughs> yes, like a, an accounting of right. who recorded what and when. A register <laughs> yes. of sorts. There we go. It was also indicated there that it was probably for Vanity Six or Brenda Bennett. Uh-huh. And we can see that maybe in some of the lyrics. That the lyrics that we hear here are basically the final lyrics, but there were yeah. a few little things added like... Prince didn't, didn't smoke, smoke, but Brenda Bennett did. Right. So, yeah. and he questioned her about it. You know, like why? Why are you doing that? Right. But, you know, that was one one of the few things around himself he did not control. Right. You know, it starts off with Prince talking to the engineer, questioning the effect on his echo, and yeah. asking for a straighter me? echo. Yeah. Is that my echo? Give me the straighter one. Yeah, give me the straighter one, and then yeah, turn you know, the voice down a little. Turn the voice down a little. Yeah, yeah, turn the lights down a little bit, you know, everything. You turn the lights down so you And control the environment. I thought it was a really cool early interpretation of the song, just to reimagine, even reimagining these songs on piano that he did later after they were recorded in a studio is neat to hear, but to hear early incarnations of them when they were still kind of sketches yeah. is what's interesting about this whole, this whole bit. You know, you realize early on that he was a beatboxer. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that you know, it really made you realize because he did this vocalizing of the sounds of other instruments. Yeah, you know, he's alone in this room. He's playing. All he's got in there with him is the piano and the engineer, and he's right. kind of making these like sounds. And it makes you realize that he could hear the whole thing in his head. One of my thoughts on this whole thing was that he recorded this with the mindset of an entire band. He was hearing more than just. His playing, so he was a solo pianist performing with a full band mentality, and hearing where other parts would come in, and you know making do where he could. You can hear his feet on the pedal, mm-hmm. kind of serving as a drum in a sense, right? And something rattling on the piano, or maybe the piano rattling too. 
Probably wasn't a very fancy piano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. I just thought it was neat. The sound explorations at the end, too, were really, it was just all around a really wonderful, fun thing to hear of Prince and, you know, a song that would have been, it would have been a hit song for anybody. Sure, it's album And it was a B-side. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. So it's really it's fun a, to hear such an early incarnation. Though. Yeah, and you get a lot of it, too. A lot of these songs are just sketches, or he kind of flows in and out of different songs very quickly, and the transitions between the songs are fun to listen to also, because it's kind of hard to tell when one starts and mm-hmm. the, or one stops, the other begins. This opening track is the long, one of the longest songs on the album by far at 6 minutes and 23 seconds. So yeah. you get a, a lot of him noodling around the song. Yes, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. And then we have uh, a little snippet of Purple Rain. This was not terribly long before the official release of Purple Rain in June of 1984. So, but, you know, a year or so before. Yeah, yeah, you get a minute and 27 seconds and basically like the first verse and the chorus. Yeah. This was originally written, Purple Rain was originally conceived as a country song, too, and was offered to other artists and not with that name, but when it kind of took full form. I remember reading about Prince going to his managers at the time, the people helping him putting put together the movie, which didn't have a name at the time. Uh-huh. They heard the song and said, this is the song we need for the movie. Aww. And Prince said, well, can we call it? Purple Rain. And they were like, hell yeah, we can call it Purple Rain. This is it. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, so very, um, you know, of course you're missing the iconic guitar opening of the song. Right. And the ooh-ooh-oohs at the end. All those things would be developed later. So here you get a very soulful, very quiet kind of in and out. Yeah, just touch on short this and, and light and tinkly piano and... Yeah, and yeah. really beautifully sung, too. Yes, <laughs> and he just really sounded like he was having fun with it. How yeah. nice is that? Fun and, um, like you said, taking it seriously, too, as, uh, you know, I want to, I've got, who knows if he had planned this out or just sat down and started playing and had these songs in his head that, that he would go through, but kind of just like a touch and go on Purple Rain yeah. in 1983, so Neat. really interesting to hear. And then we go into uh, Case of You, which is a Joni Mitchell cover. Right, this was an artist that, uh, one of the few artists, singer-songwriters that Prince said throughout his career was a major influence on him, both growing up and studying music, and um, then, you know, as a full-fledged superstar himself. Joni was someone that he looked up to quite a bit. So A Case of You was from her 1971 album titled Blue. Okay. Uh, If you want to go back and check out the um, original version by Joni, in an interview, Joni Mitchell said that she remembers receiving fan mail from Prince when what? he was young. No! And it had hearts over the eyes and all this stuff. No. And he was just kind of head over heels for Joni Mitchell. Oh, so if you can picture him. Bless his heart. Yeah, very cool. Little Prince starstruck over Joni Mitchell. Yep. So this song in particular is one that Prince played throughout his career. During the Purple Rain era, especially, he touched on it and then came back um, during in 2001 during the One Night Alone tour, 2001-2000 tour. He played it live a lot, and it's not even the first time that we've heard the song on a studio release from Prince. It was on 2002's One Night Alone piano album. Right. He performed a full studio piano cover version also right so and um, then he did a a version for a tribute album for Joni right. Mitchell in 2007 same version it's just edited oh. from the oh. One Night Alone okay album. good I didn't realize that yeah, that's it's great the same song just okay. edited a little bit you can tell why he loves it it almost sounds like a Prince song mm-hmm. because I guess you know he took a lot of writing cues from her and it's sort of poetry in right. a sense I could drink a case of you and still be on my feet drink a case That was my favorite line, too. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, it's intoxicating but not inebriating. Uh-huh. More energizing yeah. or exhilarating than debilitating. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I oh. see why you like Be it. Be still my heart. <laughs> so this is relatively short, too. A minute and 41 seconds. He yeah. kind of comes in. Purple Rain sort of blends into it and then moves right out of it. And it's hard to even see exactly, you know, I'm sure they had to spend some time to figure out how to track this thing. I'm sure. You know, to get to track four. Track four. 
is Mary Don't You Weep. The first time that this has ever gotten an official release, Prince played it quite a bit, I yes. believe, like in concerts and things. Yep. But it's this is the first official release of Mary Don't You Weep. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, we've spoken of it before, I believe it's a cover of a spiritual from the Civil War yes. era. Yep, exactly. Yes. So, you know, figuring out who actually wrote it is unknown. Uh, it's impossible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But Aretha Franklin covered it uh, on an album, and that's where I read that, you know, a lot of people think that's where Prince became familiar with it was through an Aretha Franklin album. I thought this was the first time on the on this release where you can really hear limitations of the cassette where it starts to sound very bootleggish and you get a little bit of tape flutter like around the minute and 45 second mark where okay. you think, oh, this recording is going to go bad. Don't, don't uh-huh. do that to me. <laughs> I remember listening to, you know, bootlegs on cassette as mm-hmm. a kid and, you know, not knowing what I had, putting it in and hearing things start to fall apart uh-huh. and hoping it would come back. <laughs> no, no, don't do that to me. <laughs> and of course it does. It gets it gets better. But there's yeah. definitely parts where you can hear the sonic limitations or degradation of, of the right. tape. There's a vid- video for this. Yes, we'll also, talk about that we'll in a little about. bit. So I was curious when we watched the video... I had I hadn't watched the video. I waited until the album came out to listen to any of it. Okay, um, and had listened to it five or six times and what knew where those little. I know. Good on me. Yeah. So I knew where those little parts were that there were problems, and so I was listening for them in the video too, and they're they're there too. Uh-huh. So yeah. like I said, that um, there wasn't a lot of overproduction done to try to fix these flaws. It's just kind of it's in its raw form, which I applaud. Yeah, I do too. I think mm-hmm. it feels very intimate yeah yeah um he works in portions of the song strange relationship yes. that follows it in mary don't you weep and then i haven't seen anyone else say this anywhere but there's also portions of Jimi hendrix's song red house where he says i got a bad bad feeling uh, your man ain't coming home yeah that's from a Jimi hendrix oh, song i didn't realize that was that he also house. covered later on right retitled it purple house so there's Mary, Don't You Weep at the beginning, and then at least two other songs that he starts mm-hmm. molding together, you know, yeah. or there's a mashup, so to speak. Well, I was looking at some lyrics online, just trying to make sure, mm-hmm. you know, I heard things clearly. Me too. And the lyrics that I saw say that he's saying Martha, but I thought he was saying mother. Yes, me too. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Because it would make more sense if they were saying mother, because there's a line later that says, you cooked the greatest son that's in the world. I heard you cook the greatest omelets in the world. Is that not right? You cook the greatest omelets in the world. Oh, I don't know. We'll have to uh, have a duel there. <laughs> well, okay. See, and I heard other <laughs> I saw people refer to the omelet line. I'm like, omelet? That's what I heard. I, can, I went back and listened okay. to this over and over again. I didn't look online because I didn't want to be painted yeah. by other people's opinions on, on this until we had a chance to record the podcast. But I was convinced that he was talking about you cook the greatest it's omelets mm, in the world. Well, we'll hear a little snippet of that. And yeah. <laughs> you can decide for yourself, That's dear right. listener. Or maybe right. he said Yanny. What was the other word? Yanny or... Laurel. Laurel, yeah. (laughs) Or omelet. (laughs) Or Yanny. Or Yanny. Or Laurel. (laughs) It was a gold dress, not a black dress. It was, yeah, exactly. I'm going on the record saying it's omelet. Okay. I... I thought, Are you on Team Omelette or what? I, I don't have that strong of an opinion, but when you hear it as Martha or mother, if you uh-huh. hear it as mother, you cooked the greatest son that's in the world. Yeah, she grew it, him in her belly. Yeah. She cooked him. We always you know, talked about, you know, your belly button pops out and that means the baby's done. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll so, see. I do not know which I, is right. I can just tell you what I heard. I don't. What I, I don't was know. Convinced All I was right. That's fair. That's the greatest thing about reviewing an album <laughs> when it's new and not going back to you know. 30 years ago, something that came out, and there's all the research in the world on it. Yeah. Here we're just, uh, yeah. We we're have just our opinions and we'll, we'll yeah. figure it out. But very, <laughs> pa- this was very passionately and soulfully sung again. Yeah. I really thought beautiful. his 
The pia- it's notable that it's all piano, but I think even more notable, his vocals are so great mm-hmm. uh, throughout this thing. It's, Man, it's from stunning. high to low and back again, and yeah. just didn't yeah, there not was... work his hardest just because it was a rehearsal, right. just because he was playing. Mm-hmm. All right, and then we mentioned already that we got some lyrics. I guess you know me well. I don't like winter. Yeah, no cold. Was in, no snow. Yeah, mm-hmm. was in Mary Don't You Weep. And that is how Strange Relationships start. Guess you know well. I don't like winter. It ended up on Sign of the Times in 1987. Yep, and it's known that he made a studio recording of it in 1982 that okay. no one I know of or have seen has said they have heard that there are, again... Studio records that show that that was recorded. Oh, okay. He reworked it a number of times before it saw the light of day in '87. Excellent. Um, you know, on our first, or actually, I guess it was our second episode of this podcast, we covered the Love Sexy tour. Right. And there was a piano portion of that tour that was just him on piano, and this reminded me a lot of his performance um, in the Love Sexy tour. Yeah. When he says, you know, what's the strange relationship? Ship, ship. ship. And he kind of does this, his yeah. echo. He on does his own. His own echo yeah i thought it kind of felt a little bit like an elvis impersonation or impression he's got a little yeah and a little like twangy and almost a rockabilly Mm kind of not really rock but not really country kind of sound in it Yeah, there's a lot of his music that goes in that direction, too, throughout his entire career. Yeah, I agree. Very, you know, kind of, at some points, his words are even kind of just... Yeah, unintelligible. uh, Right, right. He's making... I don't know, it's like he was making sounds because the words didn't come fast enough. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, like the music was there, but the lyrics weren't quite yet. Yeah, or yeah. he didn't remember them, or who knows yeah. what the what the issue was. Yeah, but. or he hadn't finalized them, hadn't decided upon them yet. Yeah. So the song in general was written about his relationship with Vanity and their, uh-huh. you know, falling out and tumultuous relationship uh-huh. uh, with one another. So that's kind of the first. This is a, obviously early on. He was still seeing Vanity at this time. So it's kind of, you know, part of his life yeah. at this point. By the yeah. time it saw the light of day and was more produced, it was, you know, a song that could have been about anyone. Right. But this was the... The genesis of the song. Very, mm-hmm. very cool. It was deeper than what the final version ended up. His voice was a deeper register. Yeah, the which I release thought was version fun was to hear sort of way. a Camille, yeah, higher pitched, right, vocal effect, right, on the sign of the times. Yeah, record. yeah. Mm-hmm. He sounded like he was having fun. Yeah, again, still. And then we go into International Lover, which was one of the only, the only. The only the song only. that had already been released. But when he sat down to do this recording. When he sat down to do this recording, this yep. was the only song that had already been released. It was on the 1999 album that yep. came out in 1982. Yeah, it was the 11th and closing track of the album. So it was mm-hmm. the finale, essentially. Huh. Um, He's just fooling around. Yeah, he is, and you can hear him. This is, I mean, Prince was not one to insist on complete perfection in the studio, but I don't think I had ever heard him clear his nose Mm-mm. with the intention being, I need to clear my nose because I'm still playing, and not right. some other silly, yeah, like the beginning of Hello, where he coughed, but we do get right. these cute little sniffles at the start of the song. Yeah, it kind of sounds like he's been leaning over a piano for uh-huh. 20 minutes now, and... Yeah. You know, stuff starts to happen in your head. It's Minnesota. It's, it's Minnesota. It's dry. Yeah. You know, who knows? It's a basement recording studio. Yeah. It might be a little dusty. Could a little. <laughs> yep. Spring allergies. Yeah, who knows, man? Who knows? I thought this was very, very sweetly sung, too. I mean, yeah. the, the album version is a little sexual and seductive. And here it's a little more sweet. Yeah. I thought. And. With some lyrics having double meaning, where he kind of sweetly sings, "Come on, baby, let me come inside," which you, yeah. can, you can read into meanings yeah. there. 
but I thought the a little bit of the seductiveness of the album track was removed here, and it was just a little bit more sweet. Which is funny, he would remove the seductiveness from a song called International Lover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is where, you know, long plane trips were becoming normal, yeah. and, you know, so it became, and I'm sure he was on quite a few by the time 1982 rolled around. Yeah, that rolls us into Wednesday, a previously unreleased mm-hmm. in any way song. Right. Um, this was... The first documentation in Dwayne Tudal's book was October of 83. Right, when a studio version was recorded. Yes, Mm -hmm. and it was for Jill Jones. Yes. It was in an early configuration of Purple Rain, and in fact, they even filmed it for Purple Rain with Jill Jones, and it didn't make the final cut. Yeah, nor did the the scene didn't make the final cut of the movie, and the song didn't make the final cut of the Purple Rain soundtrack. Right. Yeah, it was just even uh, Jill's notes, which we'll get to in a minute. You know, she seems at peace with that too. That yeah. you know, that's such as life. It didn't work out, but it was she got to have the experience, and she was okay with that. This one's kind of the song itself really embodied embodied the entire feeling of this recording session to me. It's a lot about. You know, he's alone. Mm -hmm. A lot of the songs are about love and loss. And this song in particular, you know, he's reaching out to someone who's not there for him. And he's contemplating suicide and missing someone. And, you know, if you don't don't show up in a couple days, there's no telling what I might do. Uh That's just kind of the... If I had to pick what could serve as a title track to this recording really i would kind of pick this one because really yeah i'm surprised not because just because i thought it sounds kind of mournful and sad and Mm -hmm. for most of this that's not how i felt about it okay you felt like he was he sounded sad during this well maybe i'm just inferring sadness because you're hearing something that you know someone who's passed away recorded for himself and never intended for you to hear so you're kind of getting this peek behind the curtain Hmm. so all of it sounds a little sad to me there's certainly funny parts that we'll get to here in a second yeah uh, but, you know, Purple Rain and A Case of You and Mary Don't You Weep and Wednesday, they all kind of fell into the mm. same sort of yeah, sad, sad category. Yep. Mm, that's fair. Um, when Jill Jones recorded it, she changed a lyric. Uh-huh. She sang it as contemplating your embrace from oh. 12 o'clock till two which i'm like oh well that's she even she saw it was kind of maybe it was a little little overt a little dark a little sad not that he never dealt with suicide but this is i would say at least in my experience of print songs like the most overt reference to suicide that he's saying like about himself Mm mm-hmm yeah. yeah, which obviously probably wasn't about himself. It was a character in his brain, but yeah. you know he was singing on... it, and it wasn't like, oh, that person's contemplating suicide. No, it was the singer contemplating a right. sad situation. It does touch on dark subjects, and I'll, you know, Purple Rain was even a darker film too. Then that was part of removing right. this was to give it a little more mainstream appeal and to take some of the troubling portions out of it. Yeah. So it ends with Prince. You, Prince is still noodling on the piano, and he says, "You want to flip it over?" Mm. And he's talking about the cassette. It's uh-huh. probably a thirty-minute cassette, and you know yeah. he's got a mental clock going on, saying, "I'm probably going to run out of tape. Let's flip it over." Yeah. So you can hear the part where that cassette side ends, and the next one begins. Yes. There's like a pause in the in the noise and the hiss in the recording. Yep. So when the tape is flipped over, we come to Cold Coffee and Cocaine, also previously unreleased. Right, and it's assumed that it's largely improvised and unknown if a studio version even exists, if he ever uh, came back to re-record this in the studio, or uh-huh. this was just an improv thing. Yeah. Because uh, it is very, very funny and playful. He uses his Jamie Starr voice throughout mm-hmm. the entire thing. Yeah, and- whereas... In- and strange relationship he kind of sounded like he was doing a Elvis impersonation uh-huh. maybe he was doing a little bit of James Brown and here cold coffee and cocaine yeah 
Lots of humor in this, you know, like the, this yeah. is the last time I'll come over to eat at your place. All I get <laughs> is like <laughs> your ugly face. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. Okay, so what is the black mouse? I was going to ask you <laughs> if uh, that meant oh. something else to you. No. I, I, I thought that it meant maybe part of the female body, and then, you know, he ta- starts saying, Did the papa, did the papa mouse leave you? that my uh-huh. fault and so is the little black mouse a child or or a uh, part of the male anatomy maybe i, d- I, don't, I know. don't know he does okay. that and then he starts you know singing cheesy cheesy uh-huh. <laughs> like, the whole song is cheesy and he's singing it and there's <laughs> what rhymes with mouse so uh-huh. you know yeah little black mouse yeah <laughs> um don't have a lot okay. of mouse experience to draw upon <laughs> well and you know as always, when it comes to print stuff, Urban Dictionary failed me because oh, yeah. I looked up to see if then or now black mouse meant something in particular because there's a whole lot of slang that I don't know the meaning to. Yes. Well, even the way, <laughs> way he sings that he never wanted a woman who had it ready-made, that seems like a very 1983 kind of way of saying well-off or yeah. you know that kind of thing. Okay. That's um, fair. I also wanted to mention that this song... And the song that follows it, Why the Butterflies, is one of the ways that they identified this cassette in the vault when they found it. On side B of the cassette, Prince's handwriting was on it. And all that was written on it was Cold Coffee and Cocaine and Why the Butterflies. And that gave them the idea that, oh, this is probably what we're after. Because they were looking for this in particular. Oh, they they were? Yes. It was a goal to find it. Excellent. I wondered if perhaps this song came from the fact that in 1983 there was a very widespread rumor that prince had died from an overdose of cocaine oh really yes oh in 1983 yes okay so right around the time that this probably was recorded like early 1983 Uh there was a pervasive rumor that prince had died from a cocaine overdose Wow. Yeah, so... Before the internet age. Before the internet age, it was, you know, mm-hmm. rumor going around in, I don't know what, you know, trashy magazines or whatever. Oh. But, <laughs> but, and then it, uh, near the end, there's this frantic piano portion of it. Man, I could just see the... Faces. Oh, yeah. Like the funky face. Oh, oh there's funky face all over that. I could just see it. Like, oh, man. Yeah. Nobody had their iPhones to... <laughs> no, there was no home recording of video <laughs> then. Um, That's just a shame because you know there were some amazing faces. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Very good. And that brings us to the final track and also previously unreleased, Why the Butterflies. Right. Uh, another, well, only the second track on this entire collection that's longer than six minutes. Six minutes and 27 seconds? Yes. Well, talk about a song where I, it seemed like to me that Prince was just getting lost in what he was singing and was almost unaware of what he was doing. Yeah. That's how I kind of pictured this, that it was very haunting. It, there's silence in it and there's, you know, large crescendos in it. And he calls out like a child to his mother, Mama, Mama, why the butterflies? What's mm-hmm. this strange feeling? Yeah. Um, it has a little bit of strange relationship in this too. What's this strange? Yeah. And he kind of trails off. And yeah. I just thought he sounded very childlike, almost innocent, exposed. It's kind of stream of consciousness. Uh-huh. Just, you know, nervous without a reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this was one that I wondered, you know, if... There's a if there was a song on here that he would come back to to flesh out a little bit more, but especially between these last two, why the butterflies? Yeah. I could see being something that well, and he I, may have revisited. I wonder if maybe it didn't turn into something else because he used butterflies a lot. Mm-hmm. And w- when doves cry, right, uh, you've got yep. the butterflies all tied up. Glam yep. slam, come a butterfly straight on your skin. Yes. 
3121 butterflies scared that they're going to be awake all night long there yeah. were butterflies in new girl he was yeah. like the butterfly was, master right, the butterfly whisperer <clears throat> yeah yeah exactly so yeah it was uh, i mean definitely you think of it as you know one of the most delicate creatures on earth and very exposed and vulnerable and yeah. i think that was why it made a nice analogy or metaphor in songwriting right yeah and so i kind of wonder if maybe this wasn't like it didn't become something in and of itself Mm -hmm. it just kind of was a percolating ideas that became parts of these other things that we saw a lot of and i'm sure there's other things that i missed if you guys know of something that has to do with butterflies that I've missed, then, I think you, you know. covered them, but uh, yeah, I'd like to hear others if there are others. <laughs> if there are others, please tell me what I missed. If you if you want to do that, you can find us yeah. on Facebook, the Mountains and the Sea of Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast. Or um, if you don't like social media and want to send me an email and tell me what I've missed, please do. It's TMATS, T-M-A-T-S, podcast at gmail.com. So Michael Howe is the estate's archivist who okay. uh, is a Warner Brothers employee and is now advising the estate and uh, working through all the material. So he did an interview where he was asked uh, on USA Today what was known about why the butterflies, and this is what he had to say about it, why the but- butterflies, uh, it's not available really anywhere else, and I haven't come across it anywhere else, he Ooh. said. With almost everything else on this album, I'm familiar with the background of the songs and what they evolved into. I don't know anything about why the butterflies. It's kind of a beautiful mystery, and presumably it will always remain that way. Aww. So. Don't feel bad if you don't know, because the archivist who is working with the estate... (laughs) Well, I didn't feel bad that I didn't know. I just like to know. I was talking you in general. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) You and our listeners. You too. You're included in that. Oh, okay. Thank you. I won't feel bad. I don't. All right. So that brings us to the end of the music. Mm -hmm. Now we're at the fun looking at the deluxe edition. It came with a booklet that's... Mm-hmm. It's really oversized, yeah. large. Like it's like twelve this, by twelve, right? It's like the size of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, there's they, one particular photo that they really liked that oh, yes. they used on both the inside of the what do you call that? Oh, the fold out of the, the of the vinyl. Yeah, the fold out of the vinyl. Yeah, it's and the same. inside the book, and they included a I guess so that you can frame it if yeah, you want print. a a print. Yeah, a print of prints. But yeah, and it's, it's a same. lovely picture, but it, yeah, I would but, have liked another one. Jeez, yeah, give, give us me another else. one. <laughs> yeah, it's the same picture as what's on the cover of the album, just taken from his right shoulder, and he's looking at the camera. But yeah, it's, it's overused in the packaging. Right. If there was anything that was disappointing about the packaging, it was that picture reappearing and reappearing mm-hmm. again. Yeah. But I thought it was really well made. It's all black and white, and yeah, the booklet itself. Uh-huh. Well, uh, it's got like a little bit of hint of purple. Yep. But but that's it. Uh, but that yeah, I thought they did a nice job. Definitely getting input from Don Batts, who was a recording engineer who worked with Prince um, on his thoughts on this uh, recording. And also from Lisa Coleman, who obviously worked with Prince starting very early in his career through 1986, 87. And actually, Lisa kind of goes through each song track by track and gives her reaction to it. So it's kind of like her having her own little podcast (laughs) and reviewing each of these She wrote it down. She knows what's going on. Uh, And then the one other person they interviewed and who actually provided the most a copy anyway was Jill Jones who um, wrote her thoughts on this uh, in June of 2018 and she recounts what it seems like every female who was recruited into Prince's camp feels like she didn't know if she was being brought in as a love interest as a background singer as an actress or or what uh-huh, protege. You a protege yeah who and knows? if you don't know who Jill Jones is if you're, if you're familiar with Purple Rain she's the blonde waitress in Purple Rain uh-huh. uh, who clearly has a crush on, on Prince mm-hmm. um, but she um, her notes on the songs are out of order which is kind of interesting they're not um, in the same order as they are on the album but she talks about Sleeping at Prince's house and in the middle of the night hearing this kind of stuff coming from downstairs and she would go downstairs and lay under the piano while Prince would play barefoot. Yeah. So I thought, 
you know, if you ever wanted to have the experience of sitting next to or underneath Prince at the piano. Yeah, this is about as close as you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, Don Batts, uh, who wrote the first eulogy. They're not really eulogy. He wrote the first set of thoughts on this. Uh, on this deluxe edition, my favorite quote from that was Prince's creative spirit was beautifully untroubled by both technical mm-hmm. and temporal limitations. Yes, he was I talking thought, about the home studio and how yeah. he set it up and it was supposed to be temporary yeah, and it turned into trail home. kind of a longer term thing. And Prince recorded a lot of tracks there right. um, and just was. He didn't care what the setup was. He could get it done, and he yeah. expected the people around him to help him get it done. Yeah, yeah. which I'm sure was difficult for them. To yep. see and, but, you know, it, it turned out all right. Yes, it did. Yeah, I guess all's well that ends well. And then uh, Lisa had a couple of um, quotes that I appreciated. Okay. Uh, Prince played a piano like he was playing with it. You know, if it's fun to think, especially when you said, like, especially why the butterflies kind of sounded innocent uh-huh. and childlike. It was this, his piano was his favorite toy. Yeah. You know, his piano and his guitar and his voice, they were his favorite toys. True. All true. And that yeah. means a lot coming from Lisa, who's an accomplished yes. keyboardist. Yes. And then on International Lover, she said he isn't so much intimate as he is revealing hmm. which i very insightful liked. yeah i thought it was really insightful yeah they definitely got the right people to you know make comments about this recording i thought they did a great job with you know these three right yes jill jones had shared with us some insight on prince's recording process yeah. writing process that he would you know be sitting on a couch and start to write lyrics and go over to the piano and play and then come up as he was playing with more lyrics and then go sit back on the couch and write them down in his journal. Uh And um, like somewhere there's a bunch of journals that are... Yeah, well, we saw one of them, a spiral notebook that's on display at Paisley Park. Oh, and you make fun of me for having my legit paper notes. No, that's great. (laughs) Paper's good. Yep, she confirms that Wednesday was for her, which we knew. She She claims that Why the Butterflies... As innocent as you thought it sounded, had some sort of sexual meaning. Oh, well, she, I mean, if anyone, I would mean, know, she would know. It would be her. Yeah, but I just don't know what that is. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, she's entitled to her secrets. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying she should. I was just. I just don't know anything about. Uh, Urban Dictionary didn't have any clues <laughs> yeah. as to what that might mean. So, and then there were handwritten lyrics. Yeah, a lot of his handwritten lyrics throughout this, especially on the CD and the yeah. deluxe version. And I think on the regular CD edition, the, his handwritten lyrics to 17 Days are on yeah. the CD. In the deluxe uh, record on vinyl, it's a big 12 by 12 panel that the CD kind of overlays on top of his own handwriting. Right. That's really well done. Um, and in the book, there's his handwritten lyrics to International Lover. Uh-huh. And, and then um, there's Strange Relations. Which, yes. And which this is, is Strange and Relationship, but it's titled Strange Relations. And that doesn't look like the other handwriting to me. It's not Prince's handwriting. It doesn't so I don't know. look like Prince's handwriting. So I don't yeah. know if he dictated it to somebody or... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but that was the strangest I, thing in the whole collection. I really the thought that got was the weird. Wrong title, and it is most certainly not Prince's handwriting. Okay, um, he's got very recognizable penmanship. So I don't know where that came from, and there's nothing in the book to kind of give you any direction as to where it was found. So. Right. I think they want you to assume that it's his, but my experience, having seen some of Prince's handwriting, is not. That doesn't look correct to me. It looks like somebody else's handwriting. I agree. And then we have the Mary Don't You Weep video. It was Mm -hmm. released on September 21st of this year, 2018. Yes, the day the album came out. Yes, directed by uh, Solomon Ligfilm. Okay. And it was filmed in New York City. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, was really... I thought it was really well done, really pretty. There's a black family in a room crying over a young man whom, you know, you understand to have been shot. Right. Then there's these shirtless men 
who are in coats and hats who come in and they're angels, yes. you assume? Yes. Yeah, because they kind of escort the young man that's laying on the floor being cried over is also standing on the other yes. side of the His room watching. There. Yeah. yeah. And um, he's kind of haunting or watching over his family as they go through the mourning process and, you know, sees his own casket yeah. out on a corner so that people can come by and visit with his family. And I assume that's his mother. It seems like it. Yeah. It seems like it doesn't seem like a lover. It seems no. more like a parent-child relationship. I thought it was beautifully shot, tells a clear story. Yeah. Um, it had a couple quotes from Prince. Yes. Yes. The, it starts with a quote. The system is broken. It's going to take the young people to fix it this time. We need new ideas, new life. Yeah. And then it has the whole video, which is lovely. You should absolutely check it out. I yeah, thought it was it's really, on the really well done. Prince YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with compassion is an action word with no boundaries. Yeah. Which is maybe one of my favorite Prince quotes of all time. Oh, good. Yeah. I didn't know that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And um, it was also used in a Spike Lee movie. Yes. It plays during the credits of Black Klansman, Spike Lee film. Um, Curiously, does not seem to be on the soundtrack for the film that was released, but it is included as the closing credits song. Okay. I thought it was very nice. I thought it was the kind of thing that Prince would have uh, approved of. Definitely seems like the way it was made, especially given like Baltimore and, you know, how kind of politically active he'd been around that kind of stuff. I thought it was, uh, it was beautifully done and... It wasn't trying to make it all about Prince, which was, uh, you know, something he kind of enjoyed and appreciated when it came to his music. Sure. Not being about him, letting the music speak for itself. Right. I thought the whole release, including the video, was done with a lot of respect. It may not have been a recording that he would have chosen to release, but the way it was packaged and handled, I think that he would feel good about. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I thought about this a lot of how to react to this album, that it's a release by the Prince Estate, and there's no doubt that Prince would have never released this himself because he had 30-plus years to do so since it was recorded while he was still alive. So I felt like it's honestly unfair to judge something or critique a recording that was meant to be private, either good or bad, that it was really never meant for our ears to begin with. Mm -hmm. So. We just have to look at it in, in that way, and that's how that's the reality of things are. That, you know, in a sense, nothing has really changed about releases for Prince fans who never had much input uh, into what was released and what wasn't. Someone else was deciding <laughs> that anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's, that we don't get a say in this is yes, just par for the course. <laughs> that's still the case. The only difference is that it's not Prince deciding. His right. work is his work is finished. So right. that's that's this is the way moving forward. The hearing, yeah, the hearing things but that we don't we want to have a little more say in it now that we could actually have some say in it well, and maybe someday we will <laughs> um you never know what they might do as far as like do that's a very true hardcore website where it's just for longtime fans who are very familiar with the music to be able to go and make requests or yeah you know have a say and then there may be this other arm that will just be curating things like this that we'll get to hear you know prince had a myriad of ways he released music and to who knows what will be next it could continue to be something ever-changing just as it was in his life it will be in his death that who knows (laughs) what we're gonna get I don't know. I just hope for at least an album a year. That'd be great. Uh, I think that's way too few, but that's my opinion. I agree, but I hope that's at the minimum we get. All right. So we have rules. Josh calls it a format. I call it rules. I call them their, your, your rules. They're my rules. Okay, so we have to choose a time capsule, something that exemplifies the time it was recorded or the time it was released so hmm, 1983 or 2018 you pick um the c the thing we liked the least not that there's anything really like bad here but the thing that spoke to us the least or made us the most sad or whatever and then the mountain the thing we liked the best right so i always start because they're my rules yes you can go first and i'll (laughs) see if i can keep up 
my time capsule was the little bit of purple rain. Now, I know it hadn't come out yet. Right. And the International Lover was the only thing that had come out. Yes. But I wasn't familiar with International Lover. So you had, had this, you not heard it before I had, this? Uh, I think I'd heard it before, but it wasn't something I was super familiar with. Yeah. So to me, Purple Rain sounds like that the early 80s. Uh-huh. So that was my time capsule. That's fair enough. I mean, it is the song. You know, yeah. Basically his ultimate masterwork, I guess you could say. So that makes sense. Um, the time capsule for me, this is like you said, a tough one because it was recorded in 83. Most people are hearing it for the first time now, 35 years later. Um, I think what will end up being a time capsule for this album, we had this problem too with hit and run phase one because it was so recently released. It's hard to say what will this embody to people looking at it, you know, 10 years from now. Um, I chose Mary, don't you weep just because of it being, you know, this kind of spiritual song that's. Who knows who wrote it? It has uh, roots going back to the Civil War and black history, and that even at this young of an age, the social-mindedness of Prince, he was aware of the song, recorded it, and then I think what will help make it a time capsule is that video, yes. um, and then also its connection with the Spike Lee film, too. Yes. We'll turn it into a time capsule. capsule. Um, it sort of Fair. is there now in that it is you know, a time capsule from the Civil War, essentially, and right. from 1983, and now from this recording that we get to hear today from 1983, so it just all kind of smelled of a time capsule to me. Okay. Yep. Totally fair. Uh, the C... That's... My runner-up... That's the thing, S-E-A. Yes, C, right? Yes. Yeah. Um... It's funny because my runner-up for the C was three C's, cold coffee and cocaine. I hate to think of Prince doing cocaine, uh-huh. but it was so funky and funny, I couldn't make it my C. Right. My C was Wednesday, just because it was mournful, it was sad, and okay. I yeah, well, that's fine. I it's only little, two minutes long. Well, so. I'm not saying I'm going to skip it, I'm yeah. just saying... Of the entire thing, it was my least favorite part because it was so sad. And I hate to think about anybody being sad enough that they don't want to live anymore. Yeah. So. I agree. Um, I agree with your sentiment. Uh-huh. And I agree I with your selection. It doesn't match my selection, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. What's um, yours? Well, because of how I described it earlier, that I felt that it was unfair to judge something like this that Prince would have never wanted you to listen to. Right. So it's really difficult to criticize hearing it when it was meant to be left private. Um, hey, if you really wanted it to be left private, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you really wanted it to be left private, maybe he would not have kept it, would have recorded over it. He yeah, maybe he, had an inkling that at some point someone would want to hear this other than him. Maybe. We don't know. We don't. Uh, but because we don't know, we get to hear it now. Yes. So that's fine. But I'm not <laughs> going to criticize a recording that it wasn't the artist's choice for right. it to, you know. To be out. To come into that's your ears. That's fair. So, because I, th- I can hear him saying, oh, you don't like it. Well, uh, yeah, I didn't I like it enough really, to record it. Yeah, this is this was done for me, day. not for you. Yeah. Um, so my C is going to not involve the music, but ins- uh, instead involve the fact that the only way to get the liner notes for this release is to spend 40 to $50 on a deluxe version of the release that includes vinyl, the CD, and the big book that's inside it, which is really well done, but there's absolutely no reason that it shouldn't have been included with just the album or just the CD release of this, even a digital booklet, sh- it should be included. If you're That's going to very fair. dig through someone's archive of his own personal stuff and find a personal recording like this and get testimony from people who were involved with it at the time, anyone who buys the release and listens to the music should have access to the thoughts of those people. I absolutely agree. Uh, that's, so that's that's the low point for me. We ended up finding it for like forty five dollars at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, because Amazon didn't have it in stock. Stupid Amazon. Yeah, they they screwed it up. So we went searching for a physical copy and found one, thankfully. Um, but I think it's a shame that um, if you just go out and buy or go out and buy who goes out and buy CDs anymore. If you order the physical album or get the download from somewhere, right. you, should you should be, be able, able to, to read, read these it. notes from Don Batts, from Lisa, and from Jill Jones because they full they further inform the story behind the release yeah. um, that's important. Yes. Agreed. All right, The Mountain. I loved the Mary Don't You Weep video, and I think Prince would have approved of it, but 
my favorite part of this I had to pick was my favorite song from this, which is 17 Days. I had the same one, but then I deleted it. Oh, you, it made your short list? It did. It was the mountain. It was the mountain. It was the mountain. And then, and then, I and then just just like uh, Wednesday off of Purple Rain, it got axed you and got cut. cut. That's right. Uh-huh. When I built this little soapbox that I decided I was going to stand upon, that you shouldn't judge for good or bad the recording of someone who... Didn't mean for you to hear it. I came back and I said, okay, I'm not going to make my mountain a song. It's got to be something else. Okay. So my mountain is the vocal performance throughout the whole thing. This is heralded as a piano Mm. performance. But to me, what really stood out, there are great moments on the piano, and he's clearly extremely skilled. Virtuoso, yes. Yes, so there's no no doubting that. But a lot of Prince fans uh, lean on emancipation as his crowning vocal achievement. A lot of people don't appreciate the production values of emancipation but pretty much everyone agrees that his vocals during that time period were the top of his game but i listen to this and i hear it on par with that this is a very lo-fi home recording that prince never intended the world to hear and his vocals are more powerful than the piano to me yeah so that's that's my mountain mama why the butterfly Excellent, excellent. Second runner or third runner up to the mountain besides 17 Days, which I agree with you. My other mountain is the fact that this release fills in a gap in Prince studio material, uh-huh. which is rare. Uh-huh. That he did, there's not a year that Prince released a studio album after his first album in 1978. 1983 happens to be one of those years. Uh-huh. 1999 came out in 1982. Purple Rain and all the associated material and the film... And the tour didn't come out till 84, so 83 is sort of this void of, uh, there was a 1999 tour still going on, and obviously preparations for Purple Rain were going on, so there wasn't a studio album from that point, so it's neat to have Aww. something to kind of stick in that slot. Yeah. That might have seen the light of day in 2018, but it was recorded Pretty during good. kind of the a dark, a blackout period in yeah, Prince in Studio Prince. recording. Very cool. That's very fair. Excellent. Well, there we go. We've made our selections. We've talked about the music. All right. I That's encourage great. you to listen to it. A lot of people feel like, oh, you would never want you to hear this, so I'm not going to support it. I think you're crazy to not yes, support it. Yes, because it's amazing. It's well done. It's handled with care and with dignity. And uh, if we expect to get more of these things, we need to support um Anything that the estate's putting out. Yeah. I mean, now you can think this estate is people who cared about Prince. They're people who have an interest in preserving his legacy. and. Yeah, I think they're all in a very difficult position, too. You've got an artist who's got more unreleased material than he ever was able to release during a almost 40-year career. So it puts you in a real... And with no instructions left on what to do. So it's right. all inferred what was meant to be heard, what was not meant to be heard. Uh, the only thing I envy about them is that they get to hear it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, if somebody told you you can hear it all, but you have to choose what comes out next. Oh, I would do it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But I would <laughs> you say, do if it you joyfully. don't agree with me, then screw off. What, yeah. what do you want me to do? I'm not a mind reader of the world. That's true. All you can do is listen to the material and, and pick and choose from it. So yeah. that's what we're going to get. All right. So well, are you ready to hear what we're going to do next time? I am. I, I don't know. Josh always chooses what we're going to do next the piano on a microphone 1983 was a little bit of a anomaly because I knew what was coming because he and I had spoken about it. Yeah, and why wait to review yeah. something that's coming out while we're doing the show so it right. makes sense to just get on board and let's do it. Yeah. So we've delved into the mid-80s quite a bit. Our last three episodes were all about Around the World in a Day from 1985. This album took us back a couple more years earlier to 1983. So we're going to hit the fast-forward button and go to 2009. Uh And we're going to be taking a at least three-episode dive into the triple album collection, Lotus Flower. Wow, cool. Uh, So it was a triple CD set that contained three different albums. 
Uh, there was a Montreux Jazz Festival performance that we can uh-huh, get into. Which is amazing. Yes, there's uh, a Nokia Theater performance uh, in California that we can get into. TV appearances on The Ellen Show and on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. We're going to have our hands full to get this done in three or four episodes. So get ready to start listening. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad. I can't wait to dive into that because I know there's some some stuff from this. This was uh, young childhood years for us no, our, so our kids were small children so yeah, you heard this 2009 yeah 2009, yeah you heard this a lot i didn't hear a whole lot of this i yeah. was you know you were busy. knee deep in the wiggles yes so you were, you were wiping applesauce out of kids hair uh-huh. that kind of thing. yeah making it curly Yep. Yeah. So that sounds great. Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. We understand that when you listen to a podcast, it's not like turning on the radio. We're not just on that you make a choice to listen to us. And we so appreciate it. Thank you so much. And hey, brush up on Lotus Flower so that you can enjoy it right along with us. And I'll be sure to put on the social media exactly what we're going to cover in the next episode so that you guys can be right there with us. All right. Uh, Thank you so much.